0: Chapter Thirteen of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen My Uncle Begins. That last suggestion was most delicious, but it came too late to relieve the pang of the horrible idea first presented. I could not help wondering at my own slow wit, which ought to have told me that such a treasure as my heart was set upon must have been coveted long ere now by many with higher claims to it, was it likely that I, a mere stupid fellow, half a rustic and of no position, birth or property, should be preferred to the wealthy, accomplished and brilliant men, who were sure to be gathering round such a prize? Black depression overcame me, even as the smoke of London, when the air is muggy, falls upon some country village, wrapping in funeral gloom the church, the trees, the cattle by the pond, and the man at the window with his newspaper. I could not see my way to eat much supper, and my uncle was crusty with me. I can't stand this much more,' he said as he finished the beer that was meant for me. "'A plague on all girls and the muffs as well that go spooning after them. Why the Lord might just as well never have made a Williams pair, "'or a cat's head coddling. "'Suppose you don't even want to hear my story. "'You don't deserve it anyhow.' "'Better put it off till you look brighter, "'for there isn't much to laugh at in it, "'unless it is the dunderhead folly of a very clever man.' "'However I begged him to begin at once, "'for he had hinted that his tale would throw some light "'on the subject most important in the world to me, "'so I filled him five pipes that he might not hunt about, "'and made his glass of rum and water rather strong, "'and put the black stool for his legs to rest on.' and drew the red curtains behind his head, for the evening was chilly and the fire cheerful. ''Like to do things for myself,'' he muttered while accepting these little duties. ''Nobody else ever does them right, though meaning it naturally for the best. Well, you want to hear about those people, and you shall hear all I know, my lad, though I don't pretend to know half of it all. But what I know I do know, and don't talk at random like the old women here.'' We'll take them in branches, male and female, until they unite or pretend to do it, but a very poor splice, the same as you see if you send for camellias to Portugal. A great clumsy stick-out at the heel of the graft, and the bark grinning open all along. (sighs) There's no gardeners like Englishmen, though we run them down for fear of boasting. Did you ever hear why Professor Fairthorne would ever so much rather be called Captain though Professor sounds ever so much better. Perhaps he has a legal right to be called Captain, but not to the other title. I have heard that hundreds of people call themselves Professors without any right to do it, and I am sure he would never like to be one of them. That has got nothing to do with it. He has held some appointment that gave him the right to the title if he liked it. The reason is that his wife always calls him Professor, and so it reminds him of her. Uh, "'Don't you be in this outrageous hurry for a wife of your own, Master Kit, I say. "'For all I know, the captain may have been as wild for her some time as you are for your kitty. "'What can you say to that, my lad? "'Why, simply that you don't know at all what you're talking about, Uncle Corny. "'Why, Miss Fairthorn is not that lady's daughter, "'and is not to be blamed for the whole of her sex, "'any more than you are for the whole of yours.' "'There is something in that. "'When one comes to see it,' my uncle replied, "'for his mind was generally fair when it cost him nothing. "'But you must not keep on breaking in like this, "'or you won't have heard half of it this side of Christmas. "'Well, I was going to take them according to their sexes, "'the same as the Lord made them. "'And first comes the lady, "'as she hath a right to do, "'being at the bottom of the mischief. "'When I was a young man, thirty year or more agone. "'There used to be a lot of talk about the two handsome Miss Coldpeppers "'of the Manor Hall down here. "'There used to be a lot also of coaches running, "'not so much through Sunbury, which lay to one side of the road, "'though some used to pass here on their way to Chertsey, "'and there was tootle-tootle along Father's Walls three or four times a day, "'but the most of them went further back, along the Staines and Windsor Road,' "'where the noise was something wonderful, "'and it's my opinion that these railway things "'will never be able to compare with it. "'They may make as much noise for the time, "'but it seems to be over before the boys can holla. "'Lots of young sparks and bucks and dandies and Corinthians, "'and I forget what else, "'but all much finer than you can see now "'used to come down by the coaches then, "'some of them driving, some blowing the horn.' some upon the roof like Mary Andrews, making fools of themselves, as we should call it now, and not be far wrong either. They were much bigger men than I see now in their size and their way of going on, and their spirits and their strength of life, and likewise in their language, and the manners of the time were as different as can be, more frolicsome-like and free and jovial, and they talked about the ladies, and to them also ten times as much as they do now, and things were altogether merrier for them that had the money, and no worse for them that hadn't got it, so far as I can see. Uh, there was something to be done in growing then. Pineapples ordered at guinea a pound, and grapes at fifteen shillings, though of course you didn't always get your money. I'm blessed if I won't have another glass of rum and water. Well, old Squire Nicholas, as they call him now, was proud as punch of his two fine daughters and expected them to marry at least an earl apiece by their faces and fine figures. And they went about with great folk in town and to court and all that sort of thing, looking fit to marry the king almost in their velvets and their satin fur bellows. The eldest daughter was Arabella, our Miss Coldpepper to this day, and the other was Miss Monica, As fine a pair of women as the Lord ever made, but for all that, see what they come to? There was no love lost between them even then, jealous of one another, no doubt, like two cats over a fishbone. Some said that one was the handsomer of them, and some said the other. There was a good bit of difference between them two, though any fool could tell they were sisters. Such eyes and noses, as you won't see now, and hair that would fall to their knees, I've been told, and complexions as clear as a white-heart cherry, and a cock of the chin and a lordly walk. They deserved the name they went by in London, the two bright sons of Sunbury. But after all, what good came of it? One is an old maid, and the other, well, not very likely to go to heaven, though she hasn't had much of that yet on earth.' Kit, I have seen a deal of women, as much as is good for any mortal man, and I tell you the first thing, and the second, and the third, and the whole to the end of the chapter of them depends upon their tempers. Ah, those two beauties were beauties at that, but Miss Monica ever so much the worse. It seems that they both might have married very well, if it had not been for that stumbling block. Many young women go on so soft and eye you so pleasant, and blush so sweet, that you'd fancy almost there was no such thing as a cross word, or a spitfire look, or a puckered forehead, in their constitution; and "angels" is the name for them until it is too late to fly away; but these two misses had never learned how to keep their tempers under for a week together, and it seems that they never cared enough for any one to try to do it. "'Till there came a man with a temper ten times as bad as both of theirs put together, "'and then they fell in love with him hot and hearty. "'This was a younger son of Lord Roarmore, "'a nobleman living in North Wales or Ireland, "'I won't be certain which, "'and he was known to be the Honourable Tom Bullrag. "'He used to drive the Windsor coach "'from London down to Hounslow, "'for the passengers could stand him, while the stones and air were noisy, but there he was forced to get down from the box, for nothing that lived, neither man, nor horse, nor cow in the ditch, could endure this gentleman's language when there was too much silence to hear it in. I suppose he was quiet among the ladies, as many men are, who can speak no good, and perhaps our two ladies fell in love with him because he was a bigger sample of themselves.' Not that they ever used swearing words, only thought them, as it were, and let other people know it. Anyway, both of them took a fancy to him, though their father would not hear of it, for the gentleman was not wealthy enough to have any right to such wickedness. Perhaps that made them like him all the more, for they always flew in the face of providence, and for doing of that they both paid out, as generally happens here, that we may see it. So far as I can tell, and I had better chances of knowing than anyone else outside the house, everything was settled for the Honorable Tom to run away to bath with Miss Arabella, with special license and everything square, but whether she was touched in the heart about her father, whose favorite she had always been, or whether her lover came out too strong in his usual style, or whether her sister Monica had egged her on to it, Sure enough, she blazed out into such a fury just when they were starting, and carried on so reckless that the Honorable Tom, who had never quite made up his mind, was frightened of what she would be by and by, and locked her in a tool-house at the bottom of the grounds, and set off with Miss Monica that same hour, changing the name and the license, and married her. Without being too particular, you might fairly suppose that a job of this kind was not likely to end well. Miss Monica had taken with her one, what shall I say, certainly not servant or attendant or inferior in any way. My uncle here seemed to feel a certain want of power to express himself, and I knew that he was beating about the bush of the one and only romance of his dry and steady life. He turned away so that I could not see his eyes, and I did not wish to look at them. Well, that is neither here nor there he continued, after pushing more tobacco into a pipe too full already. But she took away a young lady of this neighborhood, to whom she appeared to be much attached, and who alone had any power to control her furious outbreaks. Just because she always smiled at them as soon as they were over, the sweet-tempered girl could never quite believe that the fury was in earnest because it was so far beyond her own possibilities.' and the woman of fury did a far worse thing than the wrecking of her own stormy life. She also wrecked a sweet and gentle, loving, and reasonable heart. Never mind that. It often happens. And what does the selfish fury care? Miss Monica became, as I have said, the Honorable Mrs. Bullrag, and then she reaped the harvest she had sown. For the first place, Viscount Roarmore, being a hot-headed man likewise, stopped every farthing of his son's allowance and said, Go to your new father. Your pretty cousin Rose, with five thousand pounds a year, was ready to marry you, in spite of all your sins, and you promised to marry her. You have taken one of those two girls who were called the bright sons of Sunbury, till people found out what they were and called them the two raging sons. "'Now rage her down if you can, and you ought to be more than a match for a woman. "'In any case, expect no more from me.' "'Then the young man came to Squire Nicholas and screwed himself down to eat humble pie. "'But the squire said, "'Sir, you have married my daughter without asking my leave, and against it, "'and still I have a dutiful daughter left. "'She is my only one henceforth.' Then the young man broke into the strongest language ever yet heard at Pepper Hall. Although it had never been weak on that line, he was very soon shown the outside of the door and got drunk for the night at the bell and dragon. Then began the rough and tumble work between those two, the hugging and the hating and the billying and the bullying, the kissing and the kicking, all and every up and down of laughing, sobbing, scratching, screeching, it might be in a wild hyena's den. How they contrived to hold together so long as they did, heaven only knows, or perhaps the opposite place to heaven. There must have been some fierce love between them, some strange suitability, as if each perceived the worst part of himself or herself in the other, and flew to it, as well as flew at it. What kept them together was a mystery, but what kept them alive was a darker one. Without friends, or money, or credit, or visible robbery, they fought on together for five or even six years. Now here, and now there, three children they had, and fought over them, of course, and perhaps began to teach them to fight each other, at least so far as example goes. But suddenly this queer union was broken up forever. Mr. Bullrag did something which risked his neck, He believed that Squire Nicholas was bound to contribute to the support of his grandchildren, and he made him do his duty without knowing it. Then, having arranged for a 3 days' start, he was well upon his voyage before pursuit began. It is not very easy to catch a man now, when he has a good start and knows the world. But five and twenty years ago, it was generally given up as a bad job, unless the reward was astounding. No reward was offered, and the Honorable Tom was next heard of from South America, where there seemed to be a lot of little states, which never allow their civil wars to abate their wars with one another. This condition of things was exactly to his taste. His courage and strong language made their way. He commanded the forces of one great republic with the title of Marshal Torobel, and he promised to send some money home in the last letter ever received from him. His deserted wife said after that that she truly would believe in everything if she ever saw a ten-pound note from her beloved husband, but she never was put to the trial, for the next news was that he was dead. He had found it much to his advantage to learn to swear in Spanish, and being proud of this because he had little other gift of lingo, He tried it upon a young Spanish officer, who did not take it cordially. After parade they had a private fight, and Marshal Torebel could swear no more, even in his native language. His friends, for he seemed to have been liked out there, wrote a very kind letter in bad French, telling how grand he had been, and how faithful, but grieving that he had left no affairs to place them in a state to remember him then the marshal's widow, bought expensive mourning, for he had left with her a thousand pounds of the proceeds of his forgery and wrote to his father, Lord Roarmore. Kit, I have found that one can generally tell what a man will do in certain cases from a rough outline of his character. What a woman will do, no man can tell, though he fancies he knows her thoroughly. My Lord Roarmore was a violent man, and hot more than hard in his resolution, and he took it very kindly that his son, when driven hard, had forged the name of the father-in-law and not of the father, as he might have done. He was beginning to relent already, and finding it too late, naturally relented altogether. He talked of his noble and gallant son, and although himself in difficulties, bravely settled five hundred pounds a year, "'upon the widow and the little ones. "'I dare say you are surprised, my lad, "'that I should have come to know "'so much of this unhappy story, "'more, I believe, than is even known "'by the lady's own sister, our Miss Coldpepper. "'Women are slower to forgive than men "'and slower in beginning to be forgiven. "'Arabella has never forgiven her sister "'for running away with her lover, "'and Monica has never forgiven her sister "'for making such a fuss about it. They may try to pull together, when it suits their purpose, but the less they see of one another, the greater the chance of their reconciliation. But I am not come to the poor captain yet, and, bless my heart, it's ten o'clock. What a time to stay up about other people's business. If you want to hear the rest, you must have it tomorrow. End of chapter 13